Business surfing, gaming, and stream privately with no slowing you down. Visit spidervpn.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Moon, the show podcast here on Newcastle Fans TV. And today we're reminiscing again, once again, as Sam did a fantastic interview with Newcastle's, one of the main Newcastle attractions in the 90s, played alongside of Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, David Ginola. It is, of course, Keith Gillespie. And Sam, it, it seems like a long time ago that you interviewed Keith, but um, for people that might have missed it, um, what were your thoughts going into it? Because it was one of your very, very early interviews on Newcastle Fans TV, wasn't it? Uh, it was. I think it was the third or fourth one I did. Um, I think it was the fourth one. But yeah, it was um, It was good. Um Keith was one of the ones I really wanted to get on because, um, as I tell him, spoiler alert, his performance against Barcelona was one of, if not the best I've ever seen in a black and white shirt. He was absolutely unplayable that night. And I know Tino got, Esprit got the headlines because he scored the hat-trick, but without um, Keith Gillespie on that night, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have beaten Barcelona. He was absolutely phenomenal. He was phenomenal. I think people... How can people forget that game? against Barcelona at St. James as Newcastle at one point with three nil up. And this is a Barcelona side filled with well, an unbelievably world class players like Rivaldo, Enrique, um Nadal, who was a cracking centre back, Rude Hespin goal. Or Figo. Uh, was Figo there? I think I'm sure Figo was there. Yeah, he was. Uh, just before he went to Real Madrid a couple of years later, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was loads. I was trying to think he played up front for him that night. Luis Enrique was just off the striker. Was there a young Pep Guardiola on that side as well? I think he was on the bench. Yeah. I can I can hear somebody in, in the background something to do with uh, Mr. Mourner here. And this is what you don't see behind the scenes with these Greenwood and Mullen shows because Sal is a very, very busy man. If he's not working at a betting shop, he has two kids and a wife behind the scenes and Kel deserves a big shout out as well because the, oh, yeah. two, the two young ones that you've got, I can imagine are a handful. Uh, energetic. <laughs> well, Mr. Energetic, hey? <laughs> But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll steer back towards Keith Gillespie. Uh, yeah, I think, obviously, Keith was a little bit before my time. I know we have this joke about the age difference, but I wish I was the same age as you, Sam, because I would have experienced some fantastic nights and some fantastic matches when Keith was playing. And, you know, Newcastle made two FA Cup finals. They played Champions League football. They finished second back-to-back seasons. And people forget that Keith Gillespie came in the same time that Andy Cole moved from Newcastle to Manchester United. So there's a lot of pressure on Keith Gillespie to actually perform well for Newcastle because Andy Cole, future Hall of Famer now in Newcastle's history, there must have been so much pressure going, uh, going for Keith um, when he first came in, Sam. Yeah, we talk about that and uh, and the famous scenes with Kevin Keegan outside St James's Park. Um, we also talk about his book, How Not to Be a Football Millionaire. Um, which is fantastic, available on the NFTV Amazon page. Really good read. Um, really, really eye-opening and, and honest um, from Keith. But yeah, he was um, part of that wonderful entertainers era, wasn't he? And he, he was a big part of that bombing down the right wing. He was. And I think, I think Sam puts a fantastic point about the book. You know, he had his demons and he had a couple of incidents with a famous Newcastle number nine on a trip to Ireland. If memory serves me right as well, so I'm sure that might that might get mentioned as well. I kind of um, hinted at it, but he didn't want to tell the full story. I mean, it is available on the internet, so just Google it. But um, yeah, what well, it's it's very funny. It is very very funny. It's amazing what what happens with a few few beers as well. And talking about beers, beer52.com forward slash nftv and Sam's just nodding away because how smooth was that little link? Do you know what? I completely forgot about Beer 52, which I shouldn't, because they do lovely beer. They do. Beer52.com forward slash NFTV. If you want eight cans of any beer, IPA, stout, or lager for 5 95 which is the 
price of package and postage costs. So it's about time we get this interview on the road. It is the Greenwood and Mulner show, but mainly the Mulner show this week with the former Newcastle United winger, Keith Gillespie. Joining us today on Newcastle Fans TV, a lightning quick winger who was signed by Kevin Keegan in a controversial deal that saw Andy Cole move in the opposite direction. A member of the famous entertainer side and here to discuss his career in the black and white, Keith Gillespie. And I'm delighted now to be joined by former Newcastle midfielder Keith Gillespie. Keith, how are, how are we? Uh, not too bad, thanks, Sam. Struggling on. Yeah, how are you coping with the uh, the lockdown and uh, everything that's going on in the world at the moment? Yeah, it's tough, but um, you know everyone's in the same boat. You know, so it's just one of those. I mean, I just have it in my head. You have to get on with it, abide by the rules, and hopefully it won't be long before it's over. In the top then of uh, your Newcastle United career, uh, you were signed by Kevin Keegan in the deal which involved Andy Cole going the other way. To Manchester United. When was the first time you heard of Newcastle's interest, and do you remember um, how the deal came about? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it did really come out of the blue. Uh, we we were actually um, playing at uh, Bramall Lane in a FA Cup game, uh, Man United Sheffield United. So um, I'd played the previous league game, and um, this was early January, and. You know, I thought I would be playing again against Sheffield United, but um, the team was announced, subs were announced, and, and I wasn't involved. So Alex Ferguson pulled me aside and, and mentioned that Newcastle were were in for me. They were in for um, an English striker. That's the way he put it from from Newcastle. So he didn't have to be a genius to work out it was Andy Cole. Um, and it, I mean, this was at a time when, in terms of the European ruling, when you played European football. Um, you could only have so many foreigners. I think it was three foreigners. And, and being from Northern Ireland, I was classified as a foreigner. So that was his, that was Alex Ferguson's thoughts in terms of getting in a, an English player. Um, so, as I say, I wasn't involved. And he, and, he, and he mentioned it to me. And he says, look, do you want to have a think about it? And then come to me after the game. So what happened then? I watched the game. And, you know, there's an awful lot going through your head. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Pretty much going to the game, thinking I'm, I'm I'm starting for Man United, and you know within a quick two minute conversation with Alex Ferguson, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving the club. Um, the problem for me was Andre Kanchelskis was was at the club still, um, who was a fantastic winger. So although I was playing at times, I wasn't a regular. So I did see this as an opportunity then to go to Newcastle and, and get regular first team football. So after the game, I went and, and spoke to Alex Ferguson, spoke to. You know, Steve Bruce at the time, um, uh, Brian Robson, Brian McClare, you know, some of the senior players who, who thought to, who said to me that it would be a great opportunity for me. So I made my mind up and that was it. That deal in particular obviously sparked some pretty famous scenes outside St James's Park with Kevin Keegan. Were you aware of what was going on at the time with the kind of uproar of Newcastle selling Andy Cole? And obviously the uproar was more about selling Andy Cole rather than bringing yourself in. Yeah. Uh, do you know about what was going on at the time and did that kind of make you think, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I didn't know too much because uh, what happened was when I actually went up to Newcastle, I went and stayed with um, the chief executive, Freddie Fletcher. I stayed at his house um, that evening, um, you know, and there was sort of some unhappy people, let's say, at, at St. James's. But I mean, you've got to admire Kevin Keegan for, for coming out and, and and speaking to the to those you know people, because I, I I honestly don't know of any other manager that would have done that. You know that's what made him so unique. Uh, he, he loved he loved the relationship that he had with the fans because, and the fans loved the relationship they had with him. And and I think if you watch back with him on the steps, you know there's obviously a few people having a go, but once he sort of explains that. This is the way that he sees in terms of bringing the club forward. You can see that they actually trust him then. And you, know, you only have to look at what he did in the following summer when he replaced Stanley Cole with, with Les Ferdinand. My agent who like, gave me a call and said, like, he's coming up to see me. Didn't know what about him. When he came to see me, Tom, like, Kevin Keegan accepted the offer from Man United. Like, he wants to go and speak to him. So how difficult a decision was it once you came here, once you knew Manchester United were interested to move here? 
obviously it was difficult, you know, because I never wanted to leave Newcastle, you know, but the gaffer accepted a bid. I've come to a very big club, you know. I just want to do well for Manchester United now. How was Kevin different to the kind of other managers you'd played under and before and since? It, I mean, in terms of that season, I think Kevin Keegan believed we could win the league uh, and probably we didn't, but maybe four or five games in, he had us all believing, um, you know, and he was he was incredible man man management. It was, it was just out of this world. Um, you know, team talks were were quite short. Uh, you know, especially the, the fact that we were doing so well that season, and it was a case of same again, boys. You know, he came in to change room, and you know, team talks were like three minutes long. And so, you know, some managers since you have team talks and they can last 30, 40 minutes. And you know, footballers aren't great at, at with um, you know, keeping concentration for that, you know, attention span. So um Kevin was 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 very different than that. But in in terms of coming into training every day, it was an absolute joy. You made training fun. You know, we, we worked hard, but we enjoyed ourselves on the training pitch too. And that's it's good when you can combine both of them. You know, it sometimes, you know, we're with uh, at football clubs, you know, it's very difficult, obviously, to to please everybody. At times, you know, there's going to be players left out, but I think everybody coming in enjoyed training and 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 wanted to to work hard, but at the same time have a laugh. And you know, we were getting the rewards on the pitch. It does seem like, from the outside looking in, it seems like um, quite a fun dressing room in a way because there was a lot of characters. Um, was there kind of um, kind of little clicks within the dressing room or was it quite a united front because obviously you had the likes of yourself, Les, Warren Barton who I interviewed last week as it goes, Rob Lee and then obviously the likes of David Batty and, and Alan Shearer followed. What was uh, what were the team nights out like? There wasn't any clicks. Um, you know, we, we had a, a really, really good dressing room and I mean, it, it, it does help when, when results are going, going for you. You know, we're sitting top of the league and um, we used to sort of maybe organise a night out every three weeks and that was everybody had to go. Um, you had no excuse. You had to go. And the only people who didn't go was 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 Kevin Keegan, Terry McDermott and Arthur Cox. So we had like the physios there, um, you know, Derek Wright, Paul Ferris, you know, Derek Fazakerly when he was at the club, you know, Chris McMenemy, um, even John Carver, people like that, you know, so... We all went out and we would go, to, you know, for some food. And, and, you know, once the food was finished, if you wanted to go on out for a few drinks, yeah, you could. But, uh, you know, if you wanted to go home, you know, some players, you know, did do that. But generally, we'd, we would go on to a few bars. And, you know, it, 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 was, bond, it was good bonding, you know, about and everyone got on great. Um, but as I say, you know, we, we did it at the right times. Um, you know, maybe we'd be playing on a, on a Saturday. And we would maybe go organise the night out on a Monday. Uh, if we're playing on a Monday night game, we would organise out for the previous Thursday. You know, so we always done it at the right time. That was the most important thing. And and, and Kevin obviously knew about it as well because it's not it's not like you're going to keep it quiet when the whole team's running about the the quayside. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was um, it, we had we had great team spirit. You know, as good as any dressing room was ever, uh, that I've ever been in. Yeah, you, you lot, I'm pretty sure would be recognised around Keyside, whatever night. <laughs> you know. and I don't, I, yeah, and nowadays there's not much you can really get away with because no. as soon as you walk into a bar two minutes later, your picture's on Twitter. So, exactly. Uh, obviously that 95-96 season didn't pan out the way we all wanted it to. Um, there was obviously Kevin's famous meltdown. Um, <laughs> when did you first see that? And uh, what what was going through your head as uh, as it unravelled? When you do that with footballers, like he said about Leeds, and when you do things like that about a man like Stuart Pearce, I'm, I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something. He went down in my estimation when he said that. We have not resorted to that, but I'll tell you, you can tell him now, be watching it, we're still fighting for this title, and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. The thing, the thing about what happened was, I mean, it, it was the last week of the season. You know, it, it was a Monday night. We had we had a game to play on the Thursday at Knott's Forest, and then we had a, 
a home game on the Sunday against Tottenham. So, you know, there was a couple of games to go, but um, I think we were sat on the coach and, and waiting on the on the bus leaving to go back to Newcastle, and then somebody had, had you know, phoned home and, and they'd obviously told him uh, or mentioned what had happened uh, with Kevin in the interview. But you know, first to seen it was when I got back home um, and, and I watched it and. I, you know, I, I I watch it, and you know, I just I just love the passion that that he shows towards Newcastle. You know, he felt he was being hard done by, and he wanted to stick up for Newcastle. And again, you know, just like I said about him coming on those steps, there's there's no there's no manager would have done that either. Um, you know, and and probably I mean he is standing, you know, standing up against Alex Ferguson. You know, but he just yeah. felt that um, Alex Ferguson was playing some mind games, and and Kevin wanted to respond to that. Kevin had you all believing eventually that you were going to win the league. Was there a moment towards the end of the season where the dressing room kind of just knew that it wasn't going to happen for us? Was it kind of after the Liverpool game or was it later on towards the season? No, you know, we still believed. You know, for me, for me, the biggest turning point was probably um, the Man United game mm. at St James's where we lost 1-0. But, you know, if it wasn't for Peter Schmeichel, we would have won that game. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, you look at a, a, I think it was a four-point lead when we started that game. You, you win that game, you go seven points clear. And even if you don't lose it, you know, but they obviously nicked it one 0 and it's down to one point. And and then you have you have the disappointments at Anfield and then the disappointment at at Ewood Park when we were one 0 up with ten minutes to go and we lo- we lost that. And you know, so we I mean we we still we still believed that. Uh, at that stage, um, you know, you, you look at sort of, we had to go to Leeds uh, on that Monday night um, when, when Kevin had that rant. Um, and, you know, we won, we won that game. It was a tough, tough game. And we won that game and we kept it alive. We still believed that, you know, we could go to Forest and then we could, we could beat Tottenham in the last uh, the season. So there was still plenty of belief. I know we, we were sort of relying on Man United going to Middlesbrough and, and slipping up, but you know, stranger things had happened. So you know, we still had to believe that that we could do it. Um, you know, and you sort of look back, and there is a lot of disappointment, and a lot of regret, you know, because we were so far ahead at one stage. But I think in, in terms of you know the Newcastle fans, you know, that's a season that they will never ever forget. You know, because of the you know the style of the football that we played, and you know, to take it down, we still had a chance on the last day of the season of winning the. Yeah. Premier League and I think at the start of the season every Newcastle fan would have took that but just because of the way it panned out with us being in the lead for so long and then sort of Man United coming back and that, that is the disappointing thing and every member of that squad has huge regrets you know and it is natural to have that but I think at the same time we can still be proud of, of the season that we had The box this is Giggs who's let it run for Cole along the whole line, Phil Neville's cross, Cantona coming in, and he scored for Manchester United. They've been under the cosh for so much of this match, but six minutes into the second half, Manchester United break and score crucially. Barnes, rush, Barnes. Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! run away this is Benton oh a bit of fortune there Benton once more and he scored they looked as though they got away with it but they hadn't the following season as well the team got even stronger with the arrival of Alan Shearer um, but obviously not long into the season a few months into the season obviously Kevin left and in came Kenny Daglish. Um, how did he kind of differ from Kevin and was the dressing room kind of open towards him? Because obviously he was a Premier League winning manager himself when he came. Was the dressing room quite open and well receiving of him? Yeah, you know, trying to replace somebody like Kevin Keegan is is so difficult, you know, because of how, 
much he was idolised on, on Tyneside. And then when you hear Kenny Daglish is coming in, you think, wow, that is, you know, that is a, a huge, huge name. Um, and especially the fact, you know, he'd, he'd won league titles at Liverpool and he won the Premiership at, at um, Blackburn. Um, and and the, the type of footballer that he was. Um, I think um, a lot of people sort of said that defensively we were not good enough at times in, in the 95-96 season. But I think if you look at the sort of statistics, you, you know, the, I think we were third or fourth best defensive record in the league. So it doesn't yeah, actually look that season. bad. That was a bit of an urban myth that it was just all left yeah. out of Baron Peacock. But there was a lot of 1-0 wins that season. Well, exactly. Um, you know the, the way we the way we um, we played at times. You know, people sort of thought that we were a bit gung ho, but that wasn't the case. Um, you know, we had a lot of forward forward thinking people, and you know, even our fullbacks were very adventurous. With you know Warren and, and John Beresford, um, you know, and then at times with Steve Watson and, and Robbie Elliott as well. But you know, it was. Um, it probably was a bit of an urban myth, but Kenny obviously wanted to shore things up a bit. Um, you know, and I think he came in about the January time, um, halfway through the season. And it was a huge shock for, for Kevin to leave. Um, but, you know, Kenny came in and, and, and got his um, European football. Uh, but I think people were just, you know, disappointed because the style of football that we had under under Kevin, you know, New managers come in and have different ideas, and sometimes, you know, it's it's not going to be the same as what you were, you were used to. And, and the Newcastle fans have become very used to the style of football we we played, and we didn't sort of um, maintain those sort of heights again. Yeah. Um, albeit probably the only time maybe that we did, um, you know, we we beat uh, I think Leicester four three when Alan scored a hat trick. Um, and then obviously Kenny was manager the night we beat Barcelona, you know. So that was probably they were probably like Kevin Keegan type type wins, but it was Kenny who was uh, who was manager on both occasions. As you mentioned that night against Barcelona, forgive me for having a bit of a fanboy moment, but I maintain to all my friends to this day that your performance against Barcelona was one of the greatest ever midfield performances. <laughs> Because the way you destroyed <laughs> Sergi that night, my God, I imagine he's still having nightmares about that night. Um, was that that night the highlight of your career? Oh, without a doubt. I think qualifying for the Champions League at Newcastle was such a big thing. Because you know, the previous season, you know, when Man United pipped us, you know, second place in the Premiership didn't get you Champions League football. Yeah. And then he, even, even coming second again... We had to go through a playoff to get into the into the group stages, and then when when the draws made, and you see, you know, the big names: PSV Eindhoven, Dynamo Kiev, and Barcelona. And our first game is Barcelona at St James's Park. You know, first game of the Champions League, Barcelona. You couldn't have picked a, you know, a bigger game. Um, I think in terms of my performance, I think looking back at um, with Spanish football. You know, I don't think we had as much Spanish football on TV, you know, as we sort of did in, in later years. You know, sometimes you got three, four, four games a weekend. Whereas back end, it, it wasn't as it, it wasn't as much. So I, I didn't honestly know too much about um, Sergi. Um, you know, I knew he was a Spanish left back, but I wouldn't really have seen him play that often. But I, I mean, my strength was obviously my pace and. Um, I never really had much of a trick, you know. It was more a drop the shoulder, and you know, hopefully my pace will be better than than who I'm up against, and and that's the way it panned out that night. And yeah, I know as well. Obviously, you've you've got to when you put the balls in the box, you, you've got to put them in the right the right places as well. But you know, Tino that night was just like a magnet, so he was. So that wasn't too difficult for me, and you know. His performance that night was, was sensational as well, playing that lone striker role. Tino Asprea against Rude Hesp. He scores! It's 1 0! Asprea's up there, just playing it wide for Keith Gillespie. Can he get past Sergi? He can, he's put him in cross here! It's another one! It's Asprea again! It's 2 0! Newcastle, an unbelievable situation. 
Good play by Gillespie. Going down that line. Sergei chasing after him. The cross coming in, and it's a good one! It's a hat-trick! A hat-trick for Espia! 3-0! Wonderful stuff for Newcastle! Back to, to Kenny. Obviously, he kind of is known for kind of dismantling the entertainers. Um, what was the feeling like when he was selling the likes of David Ginola and, and Les Ferdinand and replacing them with kind of an aging John Barnes and Andreas Anderson? Yeah, um, you know, as soon as sort of Kenny came in, I, I just felt as if there wasn't that connection between him and him and David Ginola. Um, you know, and I think the previous season, you know, for six, seven months, Ginola was just out of this world. Um, you know, and it was a joy to be on the same pitch as at times. You know, he was he was absolutely incredible. But um, I think Kenny wanted to to build his own team. Um, I think for me, the biggest disappointment was Les leaving. Yeah. Uh, because when you've got Shearer and Ferdinand, <laughs> you know, you 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 build a team around them. Um, you know, Kenny obviously had different ideas. Um, and to be fair, you know, he, he took us to an FA Cup final as well. You know, I had a great relationship with Kenny and 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 really really enjoyed working under him. But you know, sometimes you know he, he's a great manager. There's no doubt about it because you've seen what he done at Liverpool, you've seen what he done at Blackburn. But it's just sometimes things don't 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 work out. Um, you know, at, at certain clubs. Um, you know, the, you're not always going to have success. Unfortunately, Kenny didn't. But you know, I enjoyed the time with him. I enjoyed working under him. But um, you know, he he wanted to bring in his own players. Um, you know, and I think some of some of the players he brought in were obviously just um, like a stopgap. You know, you look at sort of John Barnes towards the end of the career, and Lush. You know, Stuart Pearce. Yeah. You know, they were. You know, they they weren't going to go on forever. Uh, but I think he wanted some maybe a bit more experience in the dressing room as well and, and certainly those three guys had, had as much much experience as anyone. Kenny's not always that fondly remembered which may be a bit harsh considering second place in the league in an FA Cup final that's not too bad. <laughs> well exactly yeah second place took us into Champions League football for the first time yeah, you know, so to say it was he was manager of Barcelona and he, and he took us to the to the FA Cup final in 98 so yeah you know I think uh, we were probably, you know, very lucky that we had Kevin before that as well. Where obviously the the, the football, the, the team that we had, became known as the entertainers, and you know the Newcastle f- people love their football, but they also love to be entertained as well. And and luckily we were able to do that when when Kevin was the manager. Rude Hullet came in obviously after Kenny Daglish. Um, I think Rude came in just before you left. Did you have much of a relationship with Rude? Because obviously he's kind of renowned for rubbing quite a few people the wrong way, not least um, Alan Shearer and Big Dunk. How did you... Yeah, um, when he came in, he said I missed, I missed the FA Cup final through injury. Um, yeah. You know, and I came back for pre-season. I was still having a bit of trouble with my, uh, with my ankle. And um, I was in the last year of my contract and, and I wasn't sort of happy with the, the deal the club were offering me. Um, so the next thing I, I knew was that Middlesbrough had made an offer. Um, and, you know, I was to go and speak to Middlesbrough. Uh, Brian Robson was the manager. So I went and spoke to Middlesbrough um, and agreed a deal. And then I did the medical and I failed the medical. Um, so I remember getting the phone call that I'd failed the medical. Um, and obviously, you know, Middlesbrough couldn't take that chance, you know, with a medical because, you know, the fee was three and a half million at the time. And, you know, I understood that. So I, I rang uh, I rang Kenny and explained the situation. I said, bad news, I failed the medical. And Kenny says, that's not bad news for me. You're still on my plans. Um, and that was the first I realised that Kenny had actually uh, no knowledge whatsoever that I was going to speak to Middlesbrough. So that was the sort of board at the time you know, going behind Kenny's back, you know, so I sort of seen then that there might be no way back, you know, for Kenny when, when stuff like that starts happening. So um, after failing the medical, I came back and, and the club were sort of messing me about again. They, they'd taken the four-year contract off the table that they'd offered me and, and tr- replaced that with a one-year contract. 
um, because they they sort of said that you know I might never play again. You know, so I, I wasn't too happy with the way things were going on at the time. But um, yeah, I was injured then when 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 Rude came in, um, missed the first I don't know how many games it was, and then managed to you know to, to force my way into the team. And I think I played maybe about four games on the trot. Um, and I remember playing against Middlesbrough um, on the Sunday in December, and uh, by the Wednesday I'd gone to. to the Blackburn, um, you know, Blackburn were struggling down near the bottom, and Brian Kidd had taken over, who I knew from from uh, Man United, and you know, I was sort of six months left of a contract, so Newcastle decided to cash in then at, at that time. But um, I sort of felt there was probably no way back after what they did in terms of taking the four-year contract off the table and, and you know, offering me a one-year contract and 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 putting out the press that. My, that my career was in doubt, you know, so that was really disappointing. And I, and I had, I spoke to, to the physios and all who told me, look, your, your injury, it, you'll recover. And obviously I did do, but, you know, I think, I think it was a little bit sneaky tactics at the time by, by Newcastle, especially, um, you know, when you're in the last year of your contract and you could believe in the club and, you know, potential people coming in to, to, you know, to buy me, you know, may look at that. So I was a little bit disappointed towards the end, the way things sort of worked out with the club. So obviously Kenny didn't know you'd been given permission to speak to Middlesbrough. So, no. I mean, if the chances are that's happened to you, that that may have happened to a few other players. Did the dressing room talk of any of anything that was going on at boardroom level and any whispers that there wasn't really a connection there between, say, chairman and, and manager? No, I mean, to be fair, this, this sort of happened in... in the July, um, you know, we've been back for pre-season towards the end of July. It was actually um, Newcastle played in a tournament down at down at the Riverside that season. Um, I think Fear, I'm not sure why it was at Fiorentina. It might have been Fiorentina, but Middlesbrough, Newcastle, and a couple of other sides. Um, and um, you know, he he just had no knowledge whatsoever that that the club were trying to sell me behind behind their back. I don't know if it happened to, to any other players, but as I say, that sort of happened towards the end of, of July. I don't think it was too long then to, to Kenny actually leaving the club then. Um, you know, and Kenny, the fact that they'd done this to Kenny, I think I think he even did an interview on Sky at the time um, and mentioned, you know, I was mentioned that I was possibly signing for, for Middlesbrough yeah. and and he knew nothing about it, so it, it it made him look a little bit, you know, sh- you know, foolish on 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 live TV, um, you know. So, you know, I think when when the board are undermining the manager, you sort of think, well, obviously the manager's time's going to be up. Just finally, then, what what are you doing these days? Have have you gone into coaching at all? Because obviously, vastly experienced career, eighty six caps for Northern Ireland and playing for the likes of Man United and Newcastle, and plenty of life experience as well. Um, yeah, I mean the, the 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 sort of coaching side of things. I, you know, it's, I sort of started doing the badges about ten years ago, and then realised that this isn't for me. It's, it's not something I really fancy doing. Um, I've now got involved in the agency side of things, the full agency, myself and, uh, and another guy uh, for a company. Um, so we're sort of pushing that on. Um, I do sort of some after dinner stuff as well, and. and go around the circuit and tell sort of, you know, stories about my time in football and my career and that. So that sort of keeps me busy and I do the odd sort of media thing here and there. So, um, yeah, I'm kept busy, you know, most of the time. Um, I think in terms of the the, um, the agency side of things, you sort of work towards two windows, obviously, the summer window and then the January window. So it hasn't had too much effect on us you know, at the minute, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a very, very tough industry, but it's it's one that, you know, I've, I've had agents look after myself and I know, I, I know good agents and bad agents and I know um, how I like to be treated as a footballer. So hopefully I take that into what I'm doing. While you're on as well, I, I am going to plug your book because it's uh, a really good read. Um, How Not to Be a Football Millionaire is available on our Newcastle Fan TV Amazon page. 
So especially as we're on lockdown at the moment and there's not a lot to do, <laughs> order it, get it, read it because it's 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 yeah a really good read. Um, yeah, I've heard it. I've actually I've heard it's good, but the the honest truth is I have never read it. That is the honest truth. Uh, but I think I know uh, pretty much what's in there. But uh, I I think. Uh, you know, when you get a chance to write an autobiography, you get you get one chance, and you want, you know, to to get a warts and all type scenario. Um, and I think um, the honesty comes across in my book, and I think you get more uh, credibility uh, with that. And and the reviews that I've had um, since the book came out has been absolutely, you know, fantastic. So, yeah. player representation and an agency is that kind of what appeals to you and kind of looking after young pros and kind of not making some of the same mistakes that, that you had in your, in, in your past? Yeah, I, I think with the agency, with, the, with being a sort of involved in the agency thing and you sort of look at young players, you know, young players can then maybe look at the likes of me who obviously made some mistakes along the way. And if I can sort of, you know, speak to them and guide them and tell them the do's and the don'ts, you know, that gives me sort of a head start, hopefully, um, in, in, in that type of business. Because for, for me, you know, agents, the, the, there's not a lot of credibility with agents. Um, no. You know, you probably say 95 to 99%, maybe there's not a good name, but there is some good people out there. You know, not everybody is in it just to make a quick buck. You know, you, you get people who... The one thing with with young players nowadays, they they, they like to be molly, molly coddled, and and you speak to them regularly, you know, and that's you build up a relationship with them. Whereas you get sort of agents who, you know, only only make a phone call when there's a new contract to, to be um to be had, or or there's the transfer to be had. Whereas you want to have a friendship with these people as well, and you want to ring them up and every few weeks and. You know, you, you just don't know. They could be going through a bad spell in, in football and the fact that I've been there and, you know, obviously going through bad spells, you know, on the pitch, off the pitch, whatever, you know, hopefully I can give them that guidance. Brilliant to talk to you. I could talk to you all night just about your <laughs> against Barcelona. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you any longer. Um, as I say, it's been great to have you on the channel and uh, I hope you'll be good enough to come back on uh, one day soon. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me, Sam. That was that was Mr. Mulner in conversation with the former Newcastle United winger Keith Gillespie. And before we talk about your little hiccup, which I'm sure you don't really want to talk about. Um, well, this is this is it because you know <laughs> the interview was edited and so seamless. But on NFT, if you're a regular viewer of NFTV or you know ever heard a conversation with me and you for more than five minutes you would have known about the Keith Gillespie faux pas which we do have unfortunately it's the thing is this is the things you don't see because you need to do your research when you do these interviews and sometimes if you're a part-timer wind you your neck really... <laughs> oh all right so <laughs> Right, tell us your thoughts behind this because you, you do talk about you talked about this before, but for people that might not have listened to or seen in videos, you, so you, you were so focused on talking about this FA Cup final. Really. Confidence was high. I'd done interviews with Craig Moore, which was a success. I'd done um, interview with Warren Barton, which was a huge success, and. That was Warren Barton's first appearance on any Newcastle fan channel. And look what Warren Barton's doing with, with Newcastle fans back now. So, you know, I'm not taking any credit because Warren Barton's an absolute living legend and the nicest guy you could ever meet. But, you know, if he, you know, come on. Uh, but So confidence was high. 
and then me and Keith were getting along great. I'd express, I'd expressed my um, admiration. I'd, I had a fanboy moment where you know I did come clean and, and told him how great his performance against Barcelona was, and we were getting along great. Times were good, um, and then I don't know why because I did have, I, I do, I did have like a good few pages of notes and research and and kind of a linear sort of. Um, kind of loose order of running, not not so much script, but um, yeah, for some reason, and like, because we're about to play the clip, because you know, give Johnny his five seconds. It definitely sends uh, sends shivers down your spine, doesn't it? Yeah, and for a good year, I thought about it every day because as soon as I was saying it. <laughs> As soon as I said it, because I knew he hadn't. As soon as I said it, like as I was saying it, and I was like, "What are you on about?" You know, I'm a two-time NFTV quiz champion. I know the score. This was my era. I knew. I knew full well because the thing was, Warren Barton replaced him in said match on the right wing. And so I don't know. I don't know why, but fortunately, we, we look. I will just stress. We laughed about it after because I obviously apologised and said I have no idea what I'm on about because I know you didn't. Um, so oh, I'll just play the clip. Just play the clip for everybody. Played in the FA Cup final. Um, you obviously played in the FA Cup final. You obviously played in the FA Cup final. I didn't play because I got injured. Big thanks to Mr. Lawler for his fantastic editing skills to get that absolutely perfect. You know what? It, it actually, if Lee had kept the next like three seconds in, it, it would have got worse because Keith did go on to say that was the lowest point of his career. I think that would have been the lowest point of your career on NFTV at that point. Still very much is. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it was a very good interview. And, and apart from that little hiccup, which everybody has. We've all had we got on great at the end, yeah. but, you know, we, we haven't spoke since. <laughs> what a break, up, eh? No, it was a very good interview, and it, it, touched, it touched on a lot of some interesting insights. And um, What was the most revealing thing that you found out about Keith in, in terms of his Newcastle career? What was the most, the, the, the thing that you thought that stood out about Keith? It's loads, really. I mean, you know, you've all just listened to it. You tell me uh, at Sam Mulliner on Twitter. Um, I don't know, really. Um, I found it interesting that, that he'd never heard of. Like, I'm sticking with that Barcelona game theme. Um, for for one, that he hadn't heard of Sergi, because you thought you'd have done like you know a bit. Not like research, but you'd have been aware of like the Barcelona left back who you're about to face in the Champions League. Um, and I doubt, to be fair, on the flip side of that, I doubt Sergi had heard of Keith Gillespie up until after the game because I imagine he has nightmares about him now. Um, but Keith, Keith was like um, kind of wanted to dispel a myth about the entertainers that they couldn't defend because I think we made the point that um, the amount of one nil wins we had that season, despite everything, was quite interesting. And there's kind of like a like the media and fans and look back at that now and think, well, we had such an attacking team, it was just left to poor Darren Peacock to, to defend everything. But, you know, there was quite a few 1-0 wins that season. There was. And look, we have to touch on the fact that, especially in 95, 96, Newcastle were the closest they've ever been to winning a trophy and winning the Premier League title. And it's, obviously it's ironic. It was Keith's former club in Manchester United that just picked Newcastle at the end and, um, I, I, I've said openly, I don't think I would have coped with that. I don't think I would have coped with Newcastle being 12 points clear in February and not winning the Premier League. I think I, I, I just physically don't think I would have coped. So imagine being a player, and then, but also being a player that played for that club that went on to win it. That must have been very, very difficult for Keith. Difficult for all of them, I imagine. Um, you know, and it obviously kind of It evolved. We signed Shearer, and then it it kind of looked like it was it was back on. And then Keegan left, and you know finished second again. But I think 
with your point of not being able to cope about being 12 points clear, I think I was quite lucky in one sense in that I was six years old. So it doesn't, like, the the magnitude of the situation doesn't really hit you because you're not fully clued up about things. Um, most six-year-olds can't even sit through a 90 minutes of football. I know I couldn't really. Um, yeah, so I think if I was a bit older, and I think most of my friends of that age were Man United fans as well, um, I imagine if I was a bit older, that it would have been a lot more... Um, gut-wrenching than it was at the time it's obviously horrendous to look back on it now but kind of bittersweet because it was such a brilliant time but how that team never won anything is just one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of uh, ancient history two things i want to talk about that team and in particular uh, keith as well firstly in regards to the actual that team everyone says you only talk about the winners you only talk about the teams that win the leagues, win the Champions League, win the FA Cups. That Premier League season still gets talked about in Newcastle still get such an honourable mention. Man United won the league that year, but I think when you look at all the leagues, yes, you maybe don't talk about teams that finished second, but if there's one team you talk about that did finish second and who did finish second, it is Newcastle. The other thing I'd like to say in regards to Keith. Do you think, Sam, in the, your time watching Newcastle, Keith Gillespie is in the top three or even the best crosser of a ball that you've seen in Newcastle's history since you've been watching them? Um, tricky, because there was a hell of a lot of talented players. I mean, even even that um, the season after, do you know who could really whip a ball in before he adapted and after the injuries and, and had to adapt his game? Shearer could fucking cross. He was one hell of a crosser. Um, you look back at that um, 5 0 Man United game, the cross he puts in for Ferdinand's header is absolute pinpoint. There ain't many players that could do that. But if you go back and watch um, the Barcelona game and the third goal, Keith gets the ball on the kind of like level with his own box. And the, where he puts that cross in has no right to even get to Tino in the box, who's the only player in the box by um, Nadal and the other centre-back. It was either right or was right to go playing at right back. Might have right, even been Frank De Boer. Um, I don't know. Again, tweet me. Um yeah, it was unbelievable. He, he really could whip a crossing. So, it was he, I'd say, he's probably a better crosser than Ginola was, which is I saying agree. something. Well, I've seen, I agree. Which is really saying something, because Ginola was one of the best ever players we'll see, um, especially around that time. Top three, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, a player like that would walk into our team now. Oh, we, we, we well, anyone from that team stuff. would. It's funny because obviously when you've done the interview a couple of months later, I went to Belfast with a couple of friends, um, socially distanced, of course. And we went to Windsor Park because obviously it was a Northern Irish international and there was um, a picture with Keith on it, um, which I should have taken a picture now when I look back. Uh, it was actually around the time that Newcastle just signed another Northern Irish player in Jamal Lewis, um, which... I didn't really know. I thought he was English. I'll have to be honest. But <laughs> until honestly, before he yeah, signed for Newcastle, before he signed for Newcastle, like Newcastle on the verge of signing a Northern Irish fullback, it was like who, who, and I was like, oh, Jamal, Jamal Lewis. Oh my god! And uh, to be fair, like it must have been so close because I, I know this is slightly off topic, but when Jamal Lewis left Northern Ireland camp to go to Newcastle, it must have been honestly hours, maybe not even hours, that he was probably on a flight the opposite way. Going back there, going to Newcastle for a medical. Mm. Imagine I bumped into him in Belfast Airport. That would have been that would have been could have a super, uh, could have exclusive. I would have done. I'd like Jamal, give us a wave for NFT and kind of that'd be good. But um going back onto Keith, um, finally before we end this outro. Um and please put put your comments in and what you enjoy about this interview, because obviously this is one of Sam's uh, Sam's interviews as well. So I'm sure he'll appreciate the feedback as well. Um, what do you think his legacy was at Newcastle? Because 
again, we talked about his crossing, but you talked about the fact he was so influ- influential at the biggest stage in terms of like the Champions League. What sort of legacy do you think he left at Newcastle? So, I think that I think it's for, for that kind of player at that time. It's very very tricky to have your own legacy because you come under the collective banner of the entertainers. So it's the same for players like John Beresford, Philip Albert, um, Les, Ginola, Robley, Lee Clark, who we've had on Warren Barton. You know, I think it's the same for all of them as my child hijacks the outro this time. Charlie! And that's Charlie Mulner's first appearance at the Greenwood and Mulner show. I mean, it had to happen sometime, didn't it? Yeah. Honestly. See, it just goes to show. Don't have kids. No, um, I, don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean that. <laughs> I don't mean that. Um, I've lost my trailer. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 difficult um, because all of them players would have had their own individual moments. Keith, obviously, the standout ones, Barcelona, in my personal opinion. I mean, there are others. But Albert's got the the five the five the fifth goal in the five nil. Tino's got his that debut and the Barca hat trick. Beresford's got um those free kicks um in the Champions League. Um Dynamo Kiev, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, um, has just got an absolute archive of skill and ability and I love the the um the gif or the little meme, whatever you call it. I'm not down tech speak but um from the five nil game where gary neville's just flying in and yeah, just i think that was just spurs. no it wasn't spurs it was new no 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 it was from there, the there, was spurs. He, there was another one that he did for spurs that was really really similar and they tried to do the two together as a, as a gift um because obviously he goes absolutely sliding but there was one again there for spurs that was really similar mm. so yeah yeah i watched that over and over again um so yeah it's difficult to have like a, a proper individual legacy but I think with that team, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, maybe not. Maybe not. I think um, it's a team that certainly is remembered very, very fondly in the North East. I think it's admired by a lot of football supporters of a certain age around the UK in particular, or around the world, because obviously the Premier League was just in its infancy at this point. And now nearly 30 years since the Premier League's born, and that Newcastle team still gets a big, big mention, as I've mentioned before. And of course, Keith Pedder starring role in that. But yeah, that is uh, the Grooming and Mulner show with Keith Gillespie. It's been a fantastic uh, hour or so with Keith. And we have got some fantastic shows coming up. We're not going to give away too many spoilers about what's going on. You'll have to listen to the next few. On the road to 50. We are. We're very close. Not a million miles away. We might get it all done by the summer. So that'd be a fantastic achievement from from everybody in regards to myself and, well, me and you and and Miss Newcastle. Uh, journey. I know there's obviously some people in Newcastle fans that have helped along the way getting guests in, but obviously me and you do a, a lot of big work in regards to this. But that was the Green and Mulner show with myself, Sal Mulner, Charlie Mulner, and Keith Gillespie. Played in the FA Cup final. Um, you obviously played in the FA Cup final. You obviously played in the FA Cup final. I didn't play because I got injured. <laughs>